The White Album, November 22nd, 1968, first record. The Beatles come to America. Yeah, 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 yeah. Episode 14, The White Album, The First Record. Welcome to the Beatles Come to America podcast. I am your host, Tom Galker, along with that Beatle guru, Brooke Happen. The Beatles dropped a big Christmas gift for us this time. It's the White Album, released on November 22nd, 1968. This album is so big, we had to chop it in half. Before we can get into this interview, we do have some housekeeping notes, so let's get into it. I have a podcast. It's called Something Came From Baltimore, which is a music interview podcast, more jazz and R&B and blues. And it's not just about Baltimore, but we want you to subscribe. And the link is in the show notes. The Beatle guru, Brooke Halpin, is all-knowing when it comes to the Beatles, and he sweats the Beatle DNA. Follow him on his Facebook page, Come Together with the Beatles and Brooke Halpin. The link is in the show notes. Also, we have our own Facebook page called The Beatles Come to America, and what we're asking you to do is rank the U.S. albums from best to worst. And trust me, it's really hard. It's not easy. And as a bonus, at the end of every episode of The Beatles Come to America, we have a Brooke Hoppin original song, so you want to stay for that. And we hope you subscribe, participate, enjoy, and just remember, we love The Beatles, so love us in the comments and enjoy our other creative projects. It's episode 14, The White Album. We have another album to go, this, uh, the second side of side one. And uh, are you okay? Do you need any water or anything? No, I'm fine. Thank you, Tom. All right. Uh, the first song on side one is Martha, My Dear. That is a very polished song. I don't. I think that he's the only one on it, right? Or close to it? Yes. Him and yeah, Ringo. The only, yeah. No, no. There's no Ringo on it. Paul oh, plays just, the drums as well. Just it's him. Just Paul. And, of course, George Martin did the string and brass arrangement. Yeah, that, that brass arrangement is sharp as hell. This could be a number one song also. Not that it would be the first tier choice, but... It's a really good song, and uh, it's a great song to open up an album. And then the flip side is the second song that comes on it, which is even more overpowering. What's your thought of Martha, My Dear? It's a masterpiece. One of my all-time favorite Beatles songs. Even though it's not about a neighborhood in Liverpool like Penny Lane, it does have a Penny Lane vibe about it. All Paul, and it's kind of like a combination of a classical sounding piece. It really does like sound like a classical piano piece, especially in the beginning. Uh, and then it gets really bouncy, like it's almost like a stride piano going on. And everybody says, oh, well, you know, Martha, you know, it's about Paul's dog because Paul's sheepdog's name is Martha. It's not about Martha. Martha, the dog is code. Remember now, this is the avant-garde album. You know, things are going on that we don't know about. Back then, we knew it was, oh, okay, of course, it's Paul's sheepdog, Martha, my dear. No, song about Jane. Absolutely. Listen to the lyrics 
with in that context, and you go, oh yeah, right, right. I hear that. I hear that now. It is about jazz, but it's so cleverly written that it can be interpreted both ways. And again, that's brilliance to be able to do that. Jane has been nothing but trouble. Oh, the muse! <laughs> yeah, incredible muse. Incredible yeah, muse. Uh, he is the Adele. Like uh, this is one sad song of uh, his his struggles with her. This song just rocks. It is crisp, clean. It's almost classical in its its uh, approach. Yeah. Again, 1968. You're like, what is this? And then I'm so tired is the second song it's weird to feel this um depth of john it's going to show up i guess in the plastic ono band and some other things where he's tapping into to some darker sides of him you have to admit it's a really good song <laughs> it's a it's a cool song it's in two different sections two different parts and kind of like in a way not like the way he changed the tempo in the continuing story of Bungalow Bill to a, a bright 4-4 four, four, to a slow 4-4. Four, four. In this one, the tempo is the same, but he changes the feel. He changes the, the volume. And the beginning is... His vocal is sleepy. It sounds like he is tired. Here, you there? I'm so John, you know what? We believe you. You sound very tired. And he does sound very tired in that part of the song. But then when he, when he gets into this sort of a bit of a, a pre-chorus, you say you're putting me on, but it's no joke. Doing no harm. You know, I can't sleep. I can't sleep. My brain, you know, it's three weeks. I'm going insane. And then I give you everything I've got for little peace of mind. You say, that's rock and roll. You know, so you got this dreamy verse, verses going on. You get into the rock and roll, then it goes definitely into the rock and roll pre-chorus and into the uh, the B-chorus, which is almost pretty much the same. It's a, it works brilliantly as two different pieces going on musically. They're seamless. You know, I mean, they really do work together as one one song, no doubt. And you've got John playing lead guitar along with George on this one. And then John's also playing some organ, and Paul is playing left piano. And at the very end of the song, Tom, we have to say something. Because at the end of the song, we hear gibberish. What the hell is going on now? Again, at the end of a John song, you know, we, we've already established at the end of a number of John songs here on the White Album that John does something unexpected. Well, he threw in something here at the end, and this now goes into the Paul McCartney death hoax, because when you play it backwards, and you can hear it, and I've heard it, and I heard it back in 1969 when we were listening to all the clues and turning these albums backwards on our turntables, because we 
could do that back then. And I heard, and even to this very day, if you can play it backwards yourself and just reverse it through some software, it's Paul's a dead man. Miss him, miss him, miss him. Paul's a dead man. Miss him, miss him, miss him. Well, you know, that's pretty clear to me. So, John having fun, going along with the whole McCartney death hoax, and they're having a laugh. Did you hear that at the end? Have you ever played it backwards? Oh, yeah, definitely. And what do you hear? Same thing. Clear, yeah. clear as day. It's not It's not even masks like uh, I Buried Paul or... or uh, no, yeah, no, it's, it's very it's, clear. It's, it's very clear, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great song, though, and it's another, like, FM radio, you know, rock staple. I know that when I read all my books, they always compare... I'm only sleeping to I'm so tired. And I don't know if it's just because it's the content of the song, but for some reason, they, they always like to pair these two songs together. And um, I don't really see the connection. Nah, yeah. I, I, I don't. Yeah, I other don't than I'm tired, I'm not sleeping. sleeping you know, I'm, I know that I'm, I'm sleeping and I'm tired. Yeah. I'm so tired. He just had insomnia while he was at the um, in India. And that's where this right. started. That's right. Yeah. That's that's right. So here was another song that uh, we're on the third song on one side too that I believe could have been a a hit. And I know that a lot of jazz artists had recorded this song and, and made sure that it was on their album, which is uh, Blackbird. Blackbird singing in a denim night. All your life You have only waited for this moment to rise This song could never be recorded by the Beatles, even though it's on the Beatles album. This is solo Paul. That's all it is, is Paul. This song yeah, would have been felt yeah. really good in the McCartney album because it, of... Uh... Yeah, because it's so it's there's not much going on. It's I mean the guitar work. Uh, hats off to Paul. I mean this guitar playing exemplifies him as being an extremely good guitar player. This is not an easy song to play on the guitar. You know, it's not like you're playing some three chord rock and roll riffs or something. This is quite advanced guitar playing, and it was inspired by Johann Sebastian Bach's uh, Bore, actually in E minor. There's the ins musical inspiration for it, and that's why it sounds so classical, Baroque classical, if you will. Those are the roots of this song. And then he mixed in, you know, the, the, the bird, the sound effects of, of the birds. But it's, it's solo Paul. You know, no one else, no one else is on it except him. It's, and this is, you know, sort of a, something that we're going to discover on the White Album, that we're going to discover that not all the Beatles are on all of the tracks. Not something new necessarily, because we also discovered that, um, for instance, on, on Revolver, not all the Beatles were on all the songs. So it's not something entirely new. And also on Pepper, not all the Beatles were on all of the songs. So 
and it supposedly Paul heard the, the, the crowing of a blackbird when he was in, in India. He heard it one night. Uh, and then that was this quote-unquote his inspiration. And then years later, he claims, oh, no, it was about, you know, about a black girl, you know, the civil unrest in the U.S., you know. So I don't buy it. Being a Beatle fan, I agree with you. I read these books. I've never heard this until he started going on tour and he mentioned that that's the reason for this song it never showed up no no mention whatsoever all of a sudden in the late 80s <laughs> he's like introducing the song and, and and building this up as a as an anthem it was never an anthem uh, it was right. never intended to be an anthem i thought and and when i'm like oh oh okay but it's still awkward it's an awkward it's his it's if it's an anthem it's a very disguised awkward anthem it's not it's not a good one originally i had in mind a black woman during the civil rights um time when people were, were uh, you know being excluded back of the bus people couldn't go in hotel black people in america particularly couldn't go uh, in south africa uh, didn't have access to it, the places that white people had. So for me, it was a kind of, there was a civil rights aspect, you know, and I used the black bird as a kind of symbol of uh, a black woman in the South. Um, and you were only waiting for this moment to arise, you know, you're finally getting your rights. So it was kind of symbolic of that. So that's another reason I like it and I'm proud of it. Moment to be free. Song's awesome. I think everyone should play it. It's beautiful. Whatever meaning it's a you beautiful song. Yeah, absolutely what, gorgeous song. Whatever meaning you get out of it, you know, it, it it will always be positive and and it's a great song. And it's it's another amazing ballad of of Paul McCartney of, of, of you know one of his strong ones of all time. And uh, then we go right into Piggies, and I don't know where. Monty Python was at that time, but I know Peter Sellers was around. It was, you know, very satirical, and this is a very satirical song, and they name names here. You know, uh, George does have uh, a point of view, and he is uh, he's bitter again. Uh, that's something that George never is, is, is sarcastic and bitter. Yes, the piggies, George, anti-establishment, absolutely, no doubt about it. The lyrics are pretty, I'd say, blatant. You know, they're on the nose, as they say. You know, then there's no disguise here in terms of what he's saying, in my opinion. And it's got that wonderful harpsichord played by Chris Thomas, who actually produced it because George Martin decided to take uh, take some time off. I think George Martin at this point, too, realized that the tensions were so high. This is when Jeff Emmerich around this time, you know, the, Jeff Emmerich quit. You know, I'm not saying right when they were doing Piggies, but just when they were doing the White Album. I mean, for Jeff Emmerich to quit working with the biggest band in the world, boy, you, those tensions have to be pretty damn high for him to do that. Emmerich quit. George quit. Ringo quit. Ringo, <laughs> Ringo quit. Yeah, and then Ringo uh, quit. George Martin went on vacation. It's not pretty. Yeah, George Martin went on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> George Harrison didn't quit. He waited uh, until January of '69. Uh, he waited oh, a little longer. He, he wanted to quit, but then they were using different. They were all in different studios, like working on their yeah. own projects. And uh, right, right. Yeah. Right. So this is 
way out of character of of George. the The style is of the song, but how cool is it? It's a really cool song. Oh yeah, yeah, it really is. And uh, what's nice about it is that the the vocal. Again, I mentioned they were messing around with doing different sounds with voices and instruments. Uh, George's vocal on the bridge. In their life, there's something rocking. What they need to damn good rocking. It's really super bright. It's brighter than his voice on on the verses. So they were having a ball in terms of at least doing more experimentation with the production of the songs. And then John's uh, only contribution, which is a a very unusual one, is that John's doing the grunting, making the pig noises. (laughs) He did a good job. (laughs) Yeah, he did a very good job. Yeah, Nice work there doing the piggies there, uh, Mr. Lennon. But other than, you know, his contribution uh, doing, uh, he did some he did some backing vocals along with Paul. But for the most part, George is doing most of the instrumentation. He's doing the lead and the harmony vocals, acoustic guitar, and then, of course, it's that harpsichord that really makes a difference. And not to mention, before George Martin took a holiday, he did, a, did do a string, court, uh, a string arrangement, or he maybe did it when he got back. But the strings on on this song are, are brilliant, of course. So it's a combination of you know, it's like, well, what's the genre? What is the genre of this song, Piggies? Well, what do you think it is? Is it pop? Is it uh, classical? Baroque? It's both. It's a fusion. This is a fusion song, and it's a very, very good one. And there's nothing wrong with it, and I enjoy it. And yeah, George, it's not certainly, you know, you can't compare it. Any of George's songs on the White Album with Well My Guitar Jimmy Weaves because Well, well My Guitar Jimmy Weaves is such a monster masterpiece. But what he did do on this one is he pulled the John at the end, like you had mentioned. It's like, you know, John had these unexpected endings on Glass Onion and the continuing story of Bungalow Bill. So now it's George's turn when he goes, one more time, and then the strings and the coda, and then more John snorting like a pig. Very strange ending, but somehow it works, doesn't it? One more time. Awesome song, and it goes right into one of my childhood fearful songs. Where I was scared of Rocky Raccoon, and now we have him with his Giggins Bible. Tell me about this song. This is a very popular song, especially when it came out and into the seventies. And it's 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 a great Paul song because you know Paul's a great storyteller, and this is a great story, you know, about the uh, the Wild West and being in the saloon. And, and that whole thing. And I still like it very much. It's, I think it's a very good song. 
John plays quite a bit on this song. You know, he plays a 16 bass and a harmonium, and it's the last song that he played the harmonica on. And there's also George Harrison is playing bass, so we have two bass players on this. Again, why do we need two bass players? I don't know. And then the other thing that makes it so wonderful and perfect in terms of the Wild West saloon setting is that piano solo played by George Martin. Are you kidding me? I mean, that honky-tonk piano is absolutely perfect, and it's absolutely brilliant. I like the song. You know, Paul, of course, is playing the acoustic guitar. He tells the story, you know, about the showdown. And the other thing that's interesting about it, again, we're looking at the White Album. You know, what does this song have to do with any of the songs that we've discussed thus far? Absolutely nothing. What does this song have to do with songs that we're going to talk about on the second disc? Absolutely nothing. It's just another example of the extreme diversity and eclecticism that exists on the Beatles' one album. Paul's guitar always sounded to me, and even to this day, sounds just a little out of tune, just a little bit, like a lot of acoustic guitars are when people are playing in bars and, and saloons in the Wild West. <laughs> which gets into Don't Pass Me By, which is the sixth song, they got Ringo Starr, a song that he's billed as as writing. I love the bass. I love the drumming on this. And I really love the organ playing. And I don't know who's doing the organ because it's if you re, if you strip that away, that's the song is has to be something completely different. There's no organ on it. What is that? Yeah, what you're referring to is again, you know, how the Beatles were experimental. They took Paul played the grand piano and then Ringo played the tack piano, but when they recorded, pianos were recorded through a Leslie speaker. And it's that Leslie speaker, right, that that's, you know, keeps spinning, right? You know what a Leslie speaker does, right? It spins around, right? It yeah. creates that sort of hurdy-gurdy sound, is what you're referring to. And that's why it sounds like an organ. <laughs> By the way, this is Ringo's first solo song that he wrote. And, but the funny thing is, is that we're hearing it on an album at the end of 68, but he, it goes back to 62. He was kicking, this song has been kicking around with Ringo for six years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Out of all those times they were searching for material for him, it's a wonder they didn't pull this one out. Yeah, well, because John and Paul had written songs for Ringo. <laughs> So when the master writers were saying, hey, we got a song for you, Ringo, Ring, I don't think Ringo was about, oh, what about the song I was thinking about in 62? I don't think Ringo, you know what I'm saying? I think that John and Paul basically pulled their weight. That's what I think. Yeah, it's, it's a fun song. The thing that makes the song so incredible is what? It's the violin. Are you kidding me? This violinist, his name is Jack Phelan. He is an, he's a master 
he's more like fiddling, if you will. You know, he's fiddling with the violin, fiddle player. Probably that violin part makes the song. I can't, I can't imagine this song without that violin. I mean, I'm sure you agree that violin is just amazing what he does. And if this was not usually when you're dealing with a violin or a cello or strings or brass or any of those type of instruments, woodwinds or what have you. George Martin writes the part out. Every note is written for the instrumentalist. The big exception, of course, is the huge crescendo in the day and the life, the orchestral crescendo. But aside from that, this guy, Jack Phelan, George Martin did not, he did not write his part out. <laughs> you can hear the way Jack is playing, but what he chose as notes, is, it, it, it's brilliant. That violin part is absolutely brilliant. The guy needs to get, get, get more credit. Jack, we, I think you're brilliant. I'm giving you more credit, the credit that you did deserve on Ringo's Town Passing You By. The other thing that we have to talk about, because it's clues of the Paul McCartney death hoax are going on in this album. You were in a car crash and you lost your hair. You were in a car crash and you lost your hair. Hello? <laughs> I've been waiting for you, but you don't come up to my door. Yeah, oh, oh, gee, that's, now this is not masked. I mean, this, this is blatant lyrics. What What the hell is he talking about? Who was in the car crash? You know, and you lost your hair? Wow, that was a huge clue. So we have to mention it, because it is. Now, the sound of the drums also needs to be mentioned, because the sound of the drums, they don't sound like any other drums on this record. They're, I use the word, the adjective, back. They sound back. The way that they're mic'd, they're engineered and produced, you know, they're, they're, I've never heard drums sound like this before. Do, do, Fat sounding drums, which works perfectly with a song that pass me by. Okay, so we just got a, a, a song that's only one minute and 41 seconds. Uh, why don't we do it in the road? It's another overtly sexual song. I don't think there's any masking this one other than what do it is. It's a Paul song, correct? There's nothing more. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah it's all Paul and Ringo. Paul and Ringo. So it's a short one. I yeah. I love the drums. I love what's going on with the song. I'd, it'd be interesting to hear what this full song would sound like. Um, what's your thoughts on it? Well, Paul had a song in his head, and George and John were doing something else in one of the other studios. So Paul said to Ringo, let's go and do this one, and they did it real quick. And Paul's playing everything except for the drumming. Yeah, it's like piano, electric guitar, the bass, the clapping. And he got the inspiration when he was in India. And the inspiration was is that he saw these two monkeys who were getting it on in the road. You know, they were having fun with each other, shall we say. So Paul's going, oh, well, why don't we do it in the road? Why don't we 
act like two monkeys, basically, and get it on with each other. So that was the inspiration. And the thing that I love about this song, I mean, musically, it's very predictable. You know, it's just three chords. You know, it's one of those three chord songs. Is Paul's vocals. I mean, he is, I love his vocals on this song. I mean, he's growling. And then he jumps up. Whoa! You know, he jumps up on the high falsetto. Fantastic. It's a throwaway. I mean, this is not a great song, okay? This is not a great song. It's a good song. It's an interesting song. Does the album need this song? No. Does it fit, on, fit in this album? Yes because it's unlike any other song on the album. That's it for the White Homie Dude in the Road. And then you get a really conventional song with I Will, which is something that could have been written in 1966 or 1965. Yeah, it could have been 65. It could have been on, like, could have been on um, Beatles 65, as a matter of fact. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's a classic Paul song. Beautiful, la, 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 the, the whole arrangement of this song. I was just going to sing it, but I realized it wasn't coming out right. La, 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 la. Yeah, it's one of Paul's beautiful, another beautiful Paul ballad. He's doing not only the lead vocal, but he's also doing the harmony as well. And the sound of the guitar, the acoustic guitars, they sound, again, they were experimenting, you know, with the recording of the instruments. I use the word silvery. It's like their silvery sound, gorgeous sound of the acoustic guitars. I don't know how they did it. I've never heard an acoustic guitar sound like this before I will, or even after I will. It's a very unique sound, the way that they produced and engineered the sound of Paul's acoustic guitar playing. And he plays wonderful acoustic guitars, plural guitars. He's playing more than one acoustic guitar part. Now, there's no George on this song, which is interesting. I don't know why. Maybe because Paul wanted to play all the acoustic guitars, which he did. Uh, John doesn't play any guitar. He just plays some percussion, and Ringo plays some bongos. But here's the mind blower. I've been listening to the White Album ever since December 1st, 1968. Okay. I'm living in Los Feliz, a part of Los Angeles, in the late 70s. Listening to the White Album. And I've got, now I have these high-end recording studio speakers in my living room. And I'm listening to this song. And I'm going, oh my God. Listen to the bass part. McCartney is doing the bass part with his voice. Do, 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 and I thought, oh my God! It took me what's that? Eleven years to discover that. Make it easy to. Again, innovation, genius, brilliance. What a, I mean, have you ever heard of anybody doing a, a bass part vocally, a vocal bass part? No. In 1968, I didn't know anybody was doing vocal bass parts, and it escaped me for 11 years. Did you know that, that he was doing a vocal bass part? Now I'm going to have to listen to it. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. You'll hear it now, now that I've mentioned it. Yeah. Amazing. Brilliant. I love it. And we're ripping through another hour. So we're up to two and a half hours to talk about the first album of the White Album. And half of what I'm saying is meaningless. Half of what I say is meaningless. Wow. Just by doing research, you're saying half of this is about his mom, but half of it is about Yoko. I I feel that it's all his mom, but I could be wrong. I don't know why he would put Yoko into it, but this is where I need your help. Tell me what's going on with this song. Okay. This is the only solo John during the Beatles recording period as a band. It's the only song that he's solo John. And it's appropriate because... He's singing and lamenting about his mother. Again, Donovan comes into the picture. That way that John is playing an acoustic guitar was because Donovan taught him how to fingerpick the guitar. Right? But Donovan also helped him with some of the lyrics. Donovan came up with Seashell Eyes and Wendy Smile, and he doesn't get any credit for that. Again, John was in George, and they were all in India, along with Donovan, you know, with the Maharishi, and that's what John wrote, the song with Julia. Okay, John's vocal has got to be the most tender vocal, I think, I've ever heard up to this point. Half of what I say is meaningless, but I say it just to each Julia, and then they, there's an overlap because he ends the any part of Julie uh, on ah, uh, then the next line Julia begins. So there was some double tracking of the vocals to, to get that effect. Julia. Very loving, tender vocal by John. Okay, where does Yoko come into the picture? She does because she had come into John's head in his mind big time when he was in India. Couldn't wait because Yoko would send him letters and postcards, I think, every day while he was in India. You know, just John was craving for her while he was in India. So, Yoko, when John says, Ocean Child in the lyrics, Ocean Child Well, the word Yoko, the name Yoko, Japanese name, of course, means child of the sea. So rather than saying child of the sea, John says ocean child. And that's where Yoko comes into the lyrics of the song. Ocean child calls me yes and she does she was calling him and he was being very very clear about it we didn't know what he was talking about <laughs> he was she was calling him through letters and, and postcards <laughs> i just have to say just to veer off i know we're, we're really talking along with this uh she had said that she didn't know who the beatles were uh before she connected with these guys i find that really hard to believe 
I don't believe she would have to have been living in, in another planet on another planet. The, yeah, sure. the rest of the world. And some people, some people believe she is from another planet. Yeah. So the the rest that. of the world caught on. There's no reason why she wouldn't at least. Uh, she was diligent. Oh yeah, no. diligent. Yeah, yeah. If it wasn't Paul, it was John. So um, she, she she had uh, ulterior motives. But anyways, I love this song. I think it's uh, it's a precursor to the Plastic Ono band. Could have easily yes been on yes. this album. Um, yes. and if you think about it, the John's like vocal techniques from, uh, I'm so tired. The happiness is a warm gun to Julia is, is really, you know, it's a, uh, this is a good John album. He's really showing some, some interesting things here on this album. Absolutely. But the other thing I wanted to point out, which is kind of interesting is that on the wide album, we have solo Paul, acoustic guitar, right? Blackbird. And now we have. Solo John acoustic guitar, Julia. I'm surprised that we didn't have a solo George acoustic guitar. <laughs> that would have rounded it out. But it's just kind of interesting that they both are doing solo work. Again, the White Album is so it's the solo Beatles working together. It's not the Beatles. It's not the Beatles. It's solo Beatles. That's what it is, in my opinion, as they're arguing and fighting with each other, which makes, which is really sad because i just came back from meditating and finding inner peace yeah it doesn't make sense we were going to talk about this a week ago and i was thinking okay they bit off more than what they could handle so you have the apple label and here they're turning around trying to find artists that will be on the label they have a clothing line they have electronics uh, Magic Alex in the corner doing oh, things. Magic Alex. Yeah, you got yeah, you got the screwballs, you know, coming out. You yeah. know, they're they're starting to work on Yellow Submarine. Really, the only, if they would have just said, "Look, we can't do all this other stuff." Apple Apple Cores is now theirs, and instead of yes. having people run it, they're asking friend, begging friends, "Please run this for us." And yeah. uh, money is flying out the door. Things don't make sense. They're asked to respond to things that they didn't have to without Brian. So the inner peace thing was really short lived and now it's like, wow, this you know, running a company to this scale is you know, work. It's business and, and that's they're they're artists. Uh, they weren't businessmen and yeah. you know, obviously find out. But, you know, like that's where everyone hated the business element of it and yeah. They had a lot of ideas, and they none of them really kind of panned out. But if by chance they would have said, "Look, okay, we can't, we can't, don't, let's not bring these people on. Let's not do this. Let's not do that. Let's just focus on what we can handle." They could have been better. And but then you also had the, you know, the Yoko stepping in, and and uh, you know, John's interest going elsewhere, and uh, you know, it's it was just a recipe for disaster. <laughs> You're a, absolutely correct, yeah. and I'll. And I think you hit it right on the head when you mentioned Brian Epstein. If Brian was alive during this period, it would have been a completely different situation. Yeah, he would have because, he would have had his own people. He would have. I didn't mean to interrupt, but well, because yeah. Brian knew how to take control of them. He was the only one that they would listen to, really, because mm -hmm. he he made them superstars. So. He was so sorely needed in 68. Are you kidding me? Yeah. He wasn't there. So therefore, they're trying to run their own business. They're not businessmen. As you said, they're artists. They're musicians. They're brilliant writers. 
They're yeah. not businessmen. It they used w- to take turns going into Apple trying to run the bill. One day George goes in, he doesn't like it, he goes out, and the next day Paul comes in, and he, then he takes a break, and then John comes in. I mean, it was a freaking mess. Now, I'll tell you this, and I know this to be true. Francie Schwartz, and I don't know if we talked about her before or not, but she's on, actually, she's on uh, Birthday which we'll get into uh, during the next session. She sings background vocals. Francie Schwartz was the girl who went to Apple with a screenplay wanting Apple to produce her movie. Paul sees her, Jane's out of town. Paul ends up having an affair with Francie. Francie wrote a book about her time with Paul. I met Francie once because she uh, lives out here. I met her. She told me a story. One day, 68, after or around the time when they were doing Hey Jude, Paul said, come on, we're going up to the pool. You know, the pool, of course, is Liverpool. And they went up to Liverpool, and Paul made the rounds to some of the pubs, you know, that he used to go to. And he would have a great time and sing and play the piano and, and drink quite a bit. And then it was raining one night after doing all that. And this is what she told me. And I think it's true. I'm, I don't. I don't think you or many people have heard this story. He got out of his car, and the, it was pouring rain. And he started pounding the pavement with his fists, screaming, "I can't take it anymore! I can't freaking take it anymore!" The pressure of the Beatles, of being in the Beatles in 1968. That's one hell of a story, and I believe it's true. You know, they're talking about their thoughts about Vietnam. They're talking about Paul finally comes out about his LSD, which gives the comments about that and, and their drug use. And then there's they're still burning records in America <laughs> about, you know, there's still a backlash in America. It's a lot. When, when Brian, they said, oh, Brian had nothing to do. He was, that's why he committed suicide. That's not true. He had a, no. he had a drug no. overdose. His job was actually getting more complicated. He was going to run Apple and they would come in and give their thoughts about it. And then they walk away. He, that was his baby. And that was, uh, you know, the machine that was going to, you know, go to the next level for the band. But boy, once, once he was gone, they should say, we need to shut this machine down. This, this is not going to work for us. But uh, the pressure of being a Beatle is immense. And I, I, I get it, you know. Yeah. That's why I told you that story about the pressure that McCartney was feeling. I, I can see it. At that time. Yeah. yeah, I can see it too. I can actually see him doing that. Okay, yeah. so here we are. We're at the first album uh, completed uh, of the Beatles' Come to America. It's the White Album. Obviously, it's going to be an epic. We have another album to go. We will con- reconvene at a future time. Uh, the Beatle Guru, you did extreme work today. You may You're going to sleep well tonight. Uh, that beetle dna was squeezed out of you hard today that's for sure Uh, Uh, but i need a nap now yeah take a beetle nap it's it's actually really interesting your your take on the uh, the the, uh the avant-garde and obviously the tape loops that are coming and the yoko influence and them being exposed the london scene and also uh, all the artists that are predominant at the time and if someone said what does that time look like it's this album it's the up and guard beetle album that's what it is all right so i'll let you go all right 
Thank you. All right, Tom. Thanks, Ray. It was was great. I think we did great today. Yeah, Yeah. good job. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Tom. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Next episode, The Beatles, The White Album, The Second Record. Now enjoy an original Brooke Hoppin composition, Celebrations. The future's here, it's raining clear, we were meant to fly, forget the past, we're free at last, no need to sit and cry. Despair, thinking life isn't fair, keeping all they can share inside. Wake up and see how good life can be. Come on out tonight. Celebration, let's have some fun. You're invited, everyone. Celebration, forever young. Come and get it, the party's on. episode.